0: Welcome to episode 3 of For the Love of Guns. Today's episode is going to be the 10 things I learned being a home-based FFL. Before we begin, let me pay the bills. This episode is brought to you by my affiliate relationship with MyMedic. MyMedic is a company that was born out of tragedy. They're working hard to make sure that nobody else goes through the tragedy that they did. Use the coupon code TRB20 for 20% off your purchase at mymedic.com. Now an FFL's license is valid for three years. So every three years you're renewing your license. So I had my FFL for 10 years, so therefore you realize that I turned my FFL in early. Uh, I had renewed it, ran a year, and then turned my license in and closed the business down. Now I closed the business down because I was, quite frankly, having problems with customers. there was a lot of people moving into Montana and just didn't understand our laws here. Um, you know, we have people from like California moving in and suddenly it's Montana it's the wild west and they thought we had no laws here and they became hostile and trying to get them out of my house and off my property became problematic. So I wanted to go through the 10 things that I learned being an FFL. And number one is going to address that problem I had with the customers was that people think they know the law. Most of my customers did, but you had some of these people who are just either anti-government or they are moving here and they just thought that Montana had no laws when we actually do. So they began to tell me what the law was. Now, I'm an FFL. My license is really following the law, you know, I, because of that license, I have to follow law and I have to understand those laws really well. And I would have customers that come in, tell me what the law was, they were wrong and uh, then proceed to tell me how to run my business based on how they saw the laws. So regardless of how you think you understand the laws, it is what the ATF tells you the laws are. Now the second thing I learned being an FFL is that an FFL has a duty to stop a transaction if they're not comfortable with it. If something happens that they're just not comfortable and they think this might be a straw purchase or something illegal going on, the FFL has a duty to stop that transaction and find out what's going on or not do business at all with that person. It is completely legitimate for an FFL to stop that transaction. And trust me, people get upset when you do that. And you know, I had a couple of transactions where things started feeling weird about the transaction. And I stopped and I go, look, I'm not comfortable with this. What's going on? You need to tell me what's going on in order for this to proceed. And then they would tell me what's happening. And fortunately, every time that I got that weird feeling, it could be explained. There was never a transaction where I had to stop it and say, I am not going to do business um, because of a weird feeling. There are some times where I did have to stop a transaction because someone did not meet the law. Um, I'm not saying that they had felonies or anything like that. There was people that were under, you know, 21 trying to buy a pistol and that is against the law. So I did have to stop a couple of transactions like that. But you know beyond that, I eventually got comfortable with the transaction enough to allow it to proceed. Realize that when you're talking to an FFL, it is their responsibility to follow the law. And if they think something's wrong, they will stop the transaction. So don't get mad when an FFL decides to stop a transaction. Uh, you realize that if they're uncomfortable with it, you need to do some explaining to make sure that they're comfortable with what's going on. So don't get mad with your FFL if they stop a transaction because they're feeling a little weird about this transaction. Just calm down, don't get mad, take a breath, explain what's going on, and make sure that they're comfortable with moving forward. Now, being a home-based FFL, brought certain challenges Um, you know you're doing business out of your house being that i'm doing business out of my house i have a residential address so my business is tied to my residential address for the house house is zoned residential therefore i had a residential address reason why i keep on hitting residential address is because some distributors will not deal with you if you have a residential address. Actually, a lot of them won't. There are some, a few that I found that I had really good relationships with. I bought my guns and accessories and stuff like that from them and I didn't have a problem. The one thing that kind of made me mad is there was one distributor that absolutely refused to do business with me because I had a residential address. You know, I had to have what was called a storefront. So I had to have a retail storefront and they wanted pictures and all kinds of stuff. They would not do business with people who worked out of a house or were purely internet based. The one thing that really made me mad about this distributor was they would not give me an account. However, there was a gun shop that does a lot of business online, but they had a retail storefront. This distributor would allow them to drop ship to other FFLs. So that way they didn't have to get the gun in, put it through their AD book, put it out of their A&D book, and then ship it out. This place would just ship it out for them automatically. They would take my license to drop ship from that large retailer to me when they did the entire transaction online. So that kind of drove me nuts about that. But realize that if you're gonna be a home-based FFL, there are a few distributors that will work with you, plan on a lot of them not working with you. While we're talking about home-based FFLs and distributors, there's this little thing called allocated. So the gun company of your choice comes out with this new gun, It's you know you're like, okay, great. I want to get this thing in. So that way I can sell it. And you go on to your distributors website, you log into their portal and you'll see allocated. So what allocated means is you're not going to get that gun. Just flat out. You're not going to get that gun. Allocated means is there's only so many of them available to the distributor and they're going to give them to their top customers they're going to be larger stores and specifically probably big box stores. So allocated will drive you nuts. And then you can talk to your salesperson. It's great, but they're looking out for the people who are making them money until you get to the point where you are making them a lot of money. Allocated means you're not going to get it. Now while we're talking about your FFL being attached to your house, Realize that that is your place of business. Your entire property is your place of business. It also means that your entire property is ready for inspection when your IOIs come. Now your IOIs are your agents that come out to your business to talk to you about your business, inspect your paperwork, um, do inspections on your business, make sure that you're following the law and that all your record keeping is correct. Now here in Montana, the IOIs are really kind of easy to deal with. Um, I don't know about in other locations because I haven't had an FFL in other locations, but the ones here were pretty easy to deal with. They're not here to take your license. They're here to make sure that you're operating within your license and that you're doing everything correct. Now the IOIs really didn't have a reason to inspect outside the room that I was doing business. However, there was always that little thing that since I was doing business out of my house, I could be doing business out of any room in the house and that could be within scope to investigate. So if you're going to do a home-based FFL, you know, there, there's some things that I learned about being an FFL that I would do completely different if and when I get another FFL. Number one, I would not do it out of my house. If I was going to do it on my property, I would have a section of my property rezoned to be commercial for two reasons. One is if I get a commercial address, those distributors that would not do business with me, well, they're gonna do business with me now because now I have a commercial address. Number two is for the IOIs to inspect. They can inspect that location, not my house. So if you're going to do an FFL tied to your house, realize that your entire house could be inspected. Now we have these things called A&D or acquisition and disposition books. They can be paper and you can buy them on Amazon or, you know, Brownells or all kinds of places you can buy them. Um, I originally started off with a paper one. One of my distributors gave me a piece of software to do electronic. So I used that. Um, it, and trust me, it was nice doing electronic because if I had to do a search for something, it's a lot easier to do it through um, an electronic bound book rather than your handwritten wire bound book. So, The thing is, is that you can have multiple books and I learned this when I started doing some gunsmithing stuff. Uh, I did suracoding. And in that suracoding, suracoding is considered gunsmithing. Refinishing a firearm is a gunsmithing activity. And if you're going to do it for profit, you do need an FFL. So I learned to have a separate book. Now it wasn't a physical book, you know, because by then I was doing the electronic, but I could have a second virtual book, you know, electronic book. And I kept all my gunsmithing activities through that. That way I could check in and out firearms on my regular log for resale. So if I was buying guns to resell them, sell them online or sell them to people, that was in one book. All my gunsmithing was in the other because it just... If I had a question from an IOI, I could explain this book where I was doing gunsmithing activities a lot better than when I was doing it through resale. Because if you're doing gunsmithing activity, if you get that gun from someone, now it also depends on your state laws, but in Montana, Montana follows federal laws. So if I got a gun in from an individual and I did gunsmithing on that, and it spent the night, it had to be logged into my book. So if I started working on a gun during that day that I got it, and then, you know, if I surcoated it and it had to harden it went to night and it it threw overnight and then they picked it up the next day, I had to log that into my book, but I could give that gun back to that individual without filling out a 4473. So therefore it was a little easier for me to explain why I didn't have 4473s out of this one book because it was purely gunsmithing activities. Now, speaking of record keeping, you know, we have the, the 4473s we needed to keep and the, in the wire, wire, bound book or electronic book. If you had electronic, Realized that other FFLs suck at paper. They do. I had an FFL out of Florida, who lost a gun and the FFL was in pretty hot water with their IOI because they had a gun that they could not account for. And if it was stolen, they were beyond the time that they could report the gun being lost or stolen. So they said I received the firearm. Um, I did receive one firearm from them and it was not a second one. Now this customer had a very specific uh, taste. I was doing a lot of transfers for them. So I knew what this customer was was buying. So they contacted me and said, Hey, we sent you two guns. And this is where I was talking about being electronic because by then I was electronic and I could search through my log and go, no, you sent me one gun. No, we sent you two. It's in our book that we sent you the second gun. I'm like, what is the second gun? And it was completely something that this person wouldn't buy. It was outside of what they what they liked. And I went, no, I did not receive that. And they're like, well, you need to search your inventory. Now, being a home-based FFL, I didn't have a big inventory. And I looked behind me at the five guns I had on my logbook, go, inventory complete. Do not have that firearm. And they argued with me and eventually um, I just got them to go away. You know, they're telling me that I'm in the wrong. I'm like, if I'm in the wrong, have your, have your IOI, talk to the IOIs here in Montana and have them come and audit my books. But I'm telling you, we never received this firearm. So make sure your paperwork is super anal, especially your log books. Um, You know, you're going to want to do that anyway just to pass your IOI exams, but you're also gonna do this because you're gonna get that FFL that just sucks at record keeping and they're gonna try to blame something on you. So make sure your records are kept really good and that you can search them pretty fast. Speaking of record keeping, one of the things I learned as an FFL is that there's this thing called report of multiple handguns. It is Form 3310.4. If you were to buy so many handguns, which is more than one, within so many days, that FFL needs to fill out that form. So even if you bought you know one handgun on Monday and then you came back Wednesday and bought another gun, that FFL needs to make sure that they fill out that that form and a copy of that goes to the feds and also to the local law enforcement so if you were within a city not the ffl but you lived inside the city we needed to send that form to your city police department you lived in another county we had to send that form to another to the sheriff of that county so realize that there's this report of multiple handguns. But wait, it gets better. If you're in certain states, like Arizona, New Mexico, all along that southern border, that form is also used for the report of multiple long guns. Not all long guns, certain long guns, like ARs, AKs. They're looking for the sale of multiple guns. realize that FFLs have certain laws that they got to follow and there's certain reporting structures that you might not fully understand. So, if you want to know more about it, just search, you know, ATF 3310.4. You'll find the form right on the ATF's website and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. I'm not saying spread your purchases out to avoid that, but just realize that there are certain reporting things that you don't know are happening in the backside. So make sure you understand that. If you're going to be an FFL, make sure you understand what you're going to have to report for mul- the sale of multiple firearms. Yeah, the, the ninth one here was one that was really kind of a gray area for me. Um, the ATF held this little conference for FFLs. So we all showed up. And they were talking about like common problems that they were finding on people's forms, um, common problems with people's uh, logbooks and things like that. And it was a really good um, conference. It was completely free. We just registered, showed up, and, and I learned a lot of things from the IOIs that day. Um, you know, I hadn't had an inspection, so you know, I didn't know what to, ins- what to expect. And they kind of went through all the problems that they were seeing. And one of them was manufacturing. So we think of manufacturing as, hey, you know, I have this block of metal. I'm gonna mill it out to to be a receiver or a frame or whatever. And then I'm gonna put guts into it and then, you know, put a barrel on it and stuff like that. That's manufacturing. Well, they kind of went through another aspect of manufacturing where it's, what if you just buy all the components. So let me give you an example. Let's say you want to build a custom AR for a customer. You buy the receivers, you know, the uppers and the lowers, all the components, you literally bought absolutely everything, you put it together the way the customer wants it, and then you sold that rifle to that customer. That was manufacturing. Even though you didn't mill out a lower receiver, you manufactured a firearm. You're in violation of your FFL and you're in violation of federal law. It sounds weird, they went through it. The way around that is real simple. If you have the lower receiver, you buy all the, let's just say you buy all the parts except for the lower parts kit. The customer brings you the lower parts kit You build the rifle out of that, the way it was explained to me, that's gunsmithing. Because the customer brought you certain parts for that gun. However, if I supplied all parts, 100% of the parts I supplied, that was manufacturing. Now, that's an AR. Let's talk about a pistol, like you're going to do a custom 1911. Same rules applied. And this was a really interesting thing to hear because you know I always thought that you know I needed a mill and I needed to mill out the 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 lower or the frame and that was manufacturing. No, if I supplied all the parts, that was manufacturing. If I supplied all the parts except for like the lower parts kit, that was gunsmithing. So realize that if you're going to get the uh, type one, which is what I was and what most um, FFLs are is a type one, and you can do gunsmithing off of a type one, you can also sell guns off of a type one, that there's some real tricky laws about what is gunsmithing versus what's manufacturing. Be careful on those. Now, the 10th thing I learned was kind of eye-opening to me. Um, You know, you don't know how much money you're gonna make on guns until you get that FFL, you get your distributors to unlock the firearms to you, And then suddenly you find out that you're not going to make money on guns. I mean, sure there's MSRP and then what you buy as as a gun dealer, but then you look at what the big box stores around you are selling these guns for the exact same gun. You find out that sometimes they're selling them for cheaper than you can buy them. There's not a lot of money in being an FFL if you're strictly selling guns. You're gonna make your money on accessories, magazines, grips, uh, sights. Those type of things is actually what FFLs make money on. The guns draw you in and they're hoping that you're gonna buy a holster. You're hoping you're gonna buy this, you're gonna buy that, you're gonna buy ammunition. Um, Ammunition is completely something I stayed away from as an FFL because the prices of ammunition were very volatile and if you bought ammunition, the second you cut your ammunition in, the price dropped out from underneath you. And you'd have to sit on that for a while in order for you to make some money off of it. So realize that when you go in to you know these big box stores, now they're buying in volume. Sure, they, they're making money on it. Don't, don't get me wrong. They're making money. They're not selling those guns for a loss, but they're buying in such volume that you can't compete. So I was talking to another FFL that was on the East Coast and you know he was talking about hey this is tough to compete and I told him I go you know the way I look at my business is, it's guerrilla warfare I'm never going to be able to compete head to head with a big box store on price but I could smoke them on customer service if you call me and say hey you know I need a transfer I could completely own that. You know, I did a lot of transfer work for people buying guns online, and I had that down pat. And I didn't charge an arm and a leg like a lot of these stores did. Um, It was, you know, at the end there, I was charging $20 for, for a transfer, and it was $15 if you had your concealed carry permit. Because here in Montana, your concealed carry permit was it bypassed the NICS. We didn't have to do a NICS because, well, you had an even better background check on you. So um, since I didn't have to type all that crap into the computer to get you know, my decision back from them, I gave you a $5 break. Uh, if you were law enforcement and you were buying your duty gun, it was a $5 transfer. It was just really nice to talk to the cops and have them come in and sit down and, You know, we would talk about guns and things like that and I got to know the police officers really well. But that's where you're going to win against the big box stores. I had a very loyal customer base. I felt really bad when I decided to close out the business because I liked my customers and it was the few customers that were just complete a-holes that screwed it up for everybody else. So. I've I've generally felt that, but that's where you're going to compete against big box stores. You're not gonna compete head to head. Those allocated guns that you can't get, they're gonna get. They're gonna buy guns at cheaper prices than you can. So just realize that you're just not gonna make money on guns, you need to figure out how you're gonna make money if you're gonna be an FFL. So those are the 10 things I learned being an FFL. I hope to have an FFL again one day. I really do. I enjoyed being an FFL. I always wanted to be an FFL. Uh, I always thought it would be great to be a gun dealer and help people you know, buy guns and get through the laws. And that's just the way I am. I like to help people. And that's how I had my FFL. I, I saw that as my way of helping people acquire guns, do it legally and stay out of trouble. But, uh, if I get that FFL again, I'll do it completely different. I mean, you heard the 10 things that I learned. Those are things that will be fixed. Um, you know, number 10, I can't fix. I can only buy at certain costs, but I would still continue that guerrilla warfare against the big box stores. Thanks for tuning in. If you want to see all my content, you can visit my website at www.trb.fyi. You will see disassembly and reassembly videos, you'll see product videos, you'll see all kinds of stuff. There's also gonna be affiliate banners and links in there that if you wanna support us, do me a favor, click on those links and we will get a very small percentage of what you buy, but it won't cost you anything extra. Thanks for tuning in. and look forward to talking to you again in the future.